Hey everybody, welcome back to the Global Gamers Podcast. Glad to be here with you for another uh, another episode today. And this one is as old as I am. Ooh, yeah, we are rapidly <laughs> approaching 30. It's uh, We'll catch up on you soon. <laughs> we sure will. <laughs> That's right. Um, and excited for a, another discussion episode today. And we're taking this in a little bit of a different direction. So I feel like a lot of our discussion episodes have been a little bit either, you know, we did our top 10 list, stuff like that, or more meta beyond individual games. And this, I guess, falls more into that camp. But we wanted to just kind of give a mental schema for thinking about different categories, different types of games, and just, you know, talk about some of the trade-offs between them and like give a sense of like what kind of experiences they offer. Because yeah, I think it's very easy in the world of tabletop games to find something you really like and play many, many iterations of it. And then guilty as charged. Yeah. And I, it, absolutely. <laughs> I think we definitely fall into that. So I think the purpose of this is twofold. First of all, it is to give, you know, every, give everybody a mental map for thinking about the world of possibilities that is out there. And on a second, more selfish side, it is a, it is a spur to us to get out of our comfort zone a little bit and to talk about, you know, a couple categories of games that we know fairly well and are pretty well acclimated to and some others that maybe are going to stretch us a little bit too. Mm-hmm. Um, can I make it threefold? Oh yeah. I thought of another really good make thing. Make it threefold. So one thing, so this little series that we're going to do, if this goes well, is your brainchild. But one of the big things that I thought was a really good part of it and I haven't even vocalized this yet, is I think that it'll be, if we do this as like a series of episodes that cover these different game subgenres, it could be a really helpful guide or like discussion starter. Because I think for people who don't know a lot about games, it could be a really good way to find out. Like, I remember, you know, when I had one or two games on my shelf and wanted to buy more, figure out what I liked, I would look up videos and people would be throwing around terms like Eurogame, Rondell, Area Control, Push Your Luck. And I was like, what what does that mean? Right. You know, so it could be helpful because people may know what they like, but they may not just know like the the marketing or publishing jargon for it to be able to find it. They might not know what it's labeled at the game store. Yeah, and then once you have a sense of that, it may be easier to find it and find more things like it. it. And then at the same time, I think it could also be very helpful for experienced players mm-hmm. because, you know, people like us who have played a lot of different games, um, you start to develop, I think, some nuanced opinions and observations about certain things. So, like, there are a lot of games that we play, which admittedly, they have a lot of overlap. Like you could yeah. 
really own one of them and play it and be fine but it's when you get to like a level where it's the little things that are different and seeing how different designers play on the mechanism tropes yeah. that's really interesting yes. so for more experienced players we can dive into that a bit and i think there's room <laughs> for scratching both of those itches at the same time because Absolutely. because especially when you're dealing with games that are often like you know at least a 90 minute commitment if not two plus hours like it's easy to you know fall into the habit of going back to the same well a lot and so i think you're right that even for experienced gamers like this this is i i'm looking forward to exploring this you know as we create this just because i think i'll learn a lot about game categories that i haven't had as much exposure to as some of the ones that are kind of our bread and butter. Yeah. And even just games that you think, you know, just maybe recontextualizing them and looking at them in, because I think one of the way, one of the things that we want to avoid doing is pigeonholing certain games into certain categories or like, you know, insisting that it can only be one thing. And it's going to be really interesting that, you know, some of these games will show up, probably multiple times and we'll talk about it in the worker placement category, but then we'll also talk about an area control when we get to that. Right. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Yeah. The world of tabletop games is a very messy Venn diagram. That is for sure. Yeah. The mess is what makes it fun. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And in that spirit, we wanted to kick things off by talking about engine building mm-hmm it's so yeah we're covering engine building and worker placement today right yes okay but we're going to start with engine building yes we're starting with engine awesome. building and that's that seems appropriate you know again the engine revved up that well that's absolutely right we need to we need to start in the so and i i as i was planning this out and thinking about this i was kind of running over in my mind different ways of mm, I don't know if I would say defining engine building that seems mm-hmm. like to more than I feel I have a right to do but I I had a couple stray thoughts that came to mind that help I think helped encapsulate how I feel about these type of games as I'm playing them and okay uh, one analogy that I came kept coming back to that I think is core to engine building games is the idea of compound interest or delayed gratification. That is at its core, what a good engine building game is all about laying out some early breadcrumbs or laying some groundwork early and then see it accumulate like sometimes on an like almost exponential scale beyond what like you'll you'll have things that that turn turn into way more than you think it's going to yes um i agree with that completely um uh one observation i have on that is 
I think for that reason, at least the ones that I can think of off the top of my head, I'm not going to start naming games now. I'll wait a little bit for that. But the ones I can think of, I think for that reason, you often see a lot of engine building games impose a limitation on how long that engine is active. Uh. Most commonly, that takes the form of limited rounds per game. Yeah. You see that a lot. So that like everyone has the same number of turns and that keeps the engines somewhat contained and, and <laughs> which is probably a, a good thing and like in the spirit fair. of fair play too exactly yes it's and that the other thing that i think i think of with um engine building games in addition to i think the compound interest is a great way to put it it's also efficiency uh-huh. it's a lot of the times they will you know the game will give you a basic set of resources or options or abilities and then you can take it in a bunch of different directions from there and if you're playing it well you are you know almost pigeonholing yourself but in a good way yeah you're you're tailoring it you're chiseling that big block of marble that the game gives you you know i think another not to just keep piling on the analogies here but i think of kind of a fun way of thinking about how this works is it's a little bit like going away to school, being a freshman in college and you're deciding. And I mean, and I guess what I mean here is the vastness of the decision space and the fact that you're creating your own adventure in a way from, from Mm -hmm. pre curated options that that's what i'm getting at when i mean it's like choosing a college major in a way yes but then once you choose it is to your benefit to hold special yes yes yeah um great so i think that was a very uh illustrative and analogy filled description of what an engine building game looks like so oh one um, one bit of housekeeping I just wanted to say before we give some example games, because um, for listeners at, at home that are, you know, seasoned gamers and are trying to think through, oh, how are they going to parse these categories? Just wanted to say that for the purposes of this discussion, we're kind of nesting a couple subtypes in this category, including nesting huh well yeah i didn't mean i I, I didn't i didn't mean for it to come out that way but it did uh uh, wingspan on the brain um yeah (laughs) but uh a couple categories that fall in here are tableau building where you're building an array of cards and deck building where you're building a personal deck of cards yes um so yeah as i was gonna say um the next thing we had teed up was discussing just a couple a couple examples. Um, I think in the interest of time, let's just do one each. Sounds good. For one game that we think does engine building um, well or not so well. Just, just whatever you think would give the most information about this genre to the audience. You want to kick us off? Yeah. I... I don't want to, you know, take the obvious one, but I don't think like the examples are the main entree here. So I'll just, I'm going to, I'm going to say wingspan, like you're building a tableau of cards 
and the way your bird powers interact with each other and play off each other is like a classic like entry into this in into this set of games yeah i think wingspan is the most pure engine building game that i can think of um off the top of my head a lot of other games that i have in mind are some kind of hybrid mm. And I think Wingspan is the best example of what we've been talking about, the compound interest, the specialization, the game imposing um, turn and time limits on you. Um, so I think that, yeah, that's the obvious example. I think it's a really important one to talk about. So just to switch it up um, and go in a different direction, just to give a little spice to the discussion. Yeah, sounds great. I'm going to talk about um, Lost Ruins of Arnak. Yeah. And I thought about doing Everdell, just to name drop it. But the reason I chose Arnak over Everdell for this category is that I wanted to make sure that we covered deck building mm-hmm. as a way that engine building more broadly manifests itself. Yeah. Um, so much in the same way that tableau building like Wingspan works you are gathering through you know buying or otherwise acquiring cards abilities upgrades as the game goes on and you need to be intentional about how you time certain things how you sequence things in deck building there's a little bit more of a luck of the draw element but then it's also up to you to call that deck and manage it and do your best to make it an expertly crafted um engine or weapon that is working in your favor yeah no doubt no doubt um i think and i'm glad you brought up deck building because i think it's it's good for us to have an example of each of of those subtypes that we mentioned mentioned at the top um but i think that gives us a good like starting point for that mind map we talked about at the top of like what is what are the like geographic boundaries of this space? Yeah. So in most of our review episodes, we have those that section where we talk about tips for first time players. Now I'm, I'd like to do something similar here, but obviously it's going to be less tactical because we're mm-hmm. not talking about individual games. We're talking about broad categories of games. But does anything come to mind for you? Like, if you were to write the art of war for how to excel at engine building games, like, what would be, what would be one of the first things that comes to mind for you? So, see, I don't know that I would write a whole treatise. <laughs> this would be one of the um, the rare times in my life when I, when I think that slogans work, because generally I, I don't dig them. But um, one that I'm thinking of is learn to say no. <laughs> and what I mean by that is I think that um, in engine building in general, I think this may be even specifically more true in deck builders 
there is a tendency to just take something because you can buy that card because you like you don't really want it but you have the resources and in the back of your head you're thinking well i never know i might need it at some point it's especially tempting if the cards you buy are worth points at the end of the game as they are in a game like lost ruins of arnak Mm -hmm. um and it's also true in tableau building games like wingspan where you know oh i don't really need that bird in my tableau but it's worth points or it fills a spot and sometimes, you know, like obviously there's exceptions to every rule, but generally, um, unless it's like super close to the end of the game where the engine doesn't really matter anymore and you're just trying to grab points, be intentional about how you build that engine. Um, use it as an opportunity to curate your space, to decide who is welcome into your pile of Viscounts and Viscounts of the West Kingdom or into your village in Everdell. Um, And don't try to do everything. Don't try to have everything because the game is designed that trying to spread yourself too thin will probably backfire on you. Mm -hmm. So learn to say no. Have some self-restraint. That's my advice. Self-restraint. It's a good good lesson for life and a good lesson for engine building games. (laughs) In that order. <laughs> no, no, not in that order. First board games, then life. <laughs> the other. Yeah, you better build that deck well, and then everything else will fall into place. <laughs> um, what about you? So, engine building games. One key, I think, and, you know, there's going to be some overlap here between some other categories of games, specifically worker placement. But Mm -hmm. I think sometimes one thing you have to keep in mind with these type of games is tempo. Because, you know, you've you've got some games that fall in this category where there are as you said, set rounds and like the game ends at a predictable time. And then you, you have other iterations of this genre where player decisions that players are making in game can speed up or slow down how rapidly the game is going to end. And I think it's very easy in an engine building game to be, to get so fixated on the bells and whistles of what you're building that you can easily lose sight of which of the, why you're building, why you're building it. And like, which of those features are actually earning you points at the end of the game instead of some intermediary benefit on the way to points. Yep. Um, Can I give an example? Go for it. So we played Viscounts of the West Kingdom this weekend, and we both thought that I was winning because I was just grabbing up all these great cards. Guess who didn't win? Me. Because those cards weren't worth anything at the end of the game. Mm. Um, So again, like... That's me not taking my own advice. Shame on me. But but you're right. But but that's a very I mean that's a perfect illustration then because 
this is, I mean, I was initially going to say that this is, you know, a trap that people fall into when they first start playing this kind of game. But anybody that's playing this game, no matter how much they've played this type of game, can fall into can fall into this. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It 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 just it manifests in different ways. I yeah. feel like for new players, it's always just, well, I don't know, so I'm gonna take it because just in case. Yeah. And for more experienced players, I think what happens sometimes is especially when you know the the deck mm-hmm. um and you see something come up that you know is good and that everybody knows is good, you're gonna go out of your way to get it, even if it makes no sense for you to get it. So like, I don't know, you are playing wingspan and the okay this might be a little bit like too much in the weeds on wingspan but like the chihuahuan raven right which a famously allows overpowered you to get, card yes like the rule book acknowledges that it's overpowered but the chihuahuan raven allows you to get food by taking the lay eggs action what if you're playing a game of wingspan where you've already built up your forest biome, which allows you to get a ton of food and you have all these amazing forest birds that, that are getting you other maybe things. Maybe they're catching Why points play... in that forest. Exactly. Yeah. In that case, Chihuahuan Raven, great. I love you. I respect you. But you're not right for what I am doing in this specific game because now you're drawing attention to the engine that I've been building this whole time. Yeah. you Drawing an attention away from yeah, it. Yeah. You're switching majors. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Exactly. You didn't say no. Yeah. 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 Cool. No, that's great. Um, Anything else come to mind for you on strategy here? Not really. I feel like um, we seem to be circling the same big points. And it just seems the more and more examples we give, the more true it seems. So I feel pretty good about it. Yeah, I think I think that's true. I think there's one addendum I think can be added to this point. You alluded to this a little bit, but to lean into the Everdell comparison, comparison a bit, I would say there is a season for everything. And by, and, and by that, I mean, there are particular phases of an engine building game where different types of cards are the right play and you could have a a card or an ability that's very good early and is not so good late where and i feel like the general pattern here is that things that allow you to accumulate resources that enable you to do more in the game but don't give you points directly are usually early game plays. And then... So those are your green and blue Everdell cards and brown. And those are your brown and pink wingspan powers. Yeah. 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 Or, or I mean, even in a... Even in a game like... A game like Scythe, these are like... You moving around the board to like get your different resources Mm -hmm. um and you know it's well and good but how many times have you had it where you 
you you just have to time that so well and you could either you could fault you can err in one of two ways there you can either um end your like end your resource accumulation too soon and run out of things like resources to generate points on your last couple turns or you could find yourself with too much stuff at the end of the game and not enough turns to use it all. Right. Um, yep, I'm very familiar with that happening to me. So the final thing to wrap up engine building is we wanted to end on a warm and fuzzy note um, yeah. with just sharing just what is the general feeling or vibe that we each get when we play these types of games. You know, what is the thing that we enjoy um, about it? What does it make us feel? What is the takeaway? Yeah. What do you have? I The first thought that comes to mind is sort of absurd. And I don't, I, I'm not even sure if it makes sense, but. Go for it. The first feeling I get is like, the satisfaction of like this is going to sound really nerdy and weird but like doing a homework assignment very well like you understood the assignment and you did it you understood yeah. the mission and you completed it or mm-hmm. like in a more like everyday weird parallel like taking your daily vitamins like no, I was gonna say like when I when I like leave the gym. Yeah, like, oh, I did that today. Yeah, and like nothing else will take that away from me. Yeah, <laughs> or even better than taking your vitamins because that doesn't sound fun. As a kid, taking your gummy vitamins—that's what it feels mm-hmm. like at the end of like a satisfying engine building game. I think because you feel like I you. And the reason I use that analogy is because like you're doing something small and you're, you're, it's like making you stronger than you could ever possibly imagine. <laughs> right. Um, so mine is, I, again, like this is going to sound strange because it's like I'm doing my homework, but I don't always do it well because what I'm trying to get at is I think engine building is my favorite um, type of game, period. Um, if you look at, you know, my top 10 list, Wingspan came out on top. Yep. You know, Everdell was right there, I think, in third place. Arnak with the deck building was in second. Wayfarers, like a lot of these games have an engine building component, whether it's a tableau or deck building. Right. And I think specifically with the tableau builders, way more so than the deck builders, the thing that I love is that these are the best games to lose. Because mm. hmm. you like if you play well, you still are going to be happy with what you built. Like I love one thing I love about this applies. So wingspan and Everdell. Um, I'm also thinking of like wayfarers of the South Tigris. Um, just when you have those big tableau spreads, especially when the game is also really, you know, beautiful, everything looks really nice. No matter what, that's a win. And I just, I don't know. It, 
just for me, it gives me a really good, warm feeling that, you know, just putting down that final 15th card in your Everdell City, um, or having a bunch of stars and planets, or, you know, I mean, it's very rare to fill out all the fi- all f- um, 15 spots in Wingspan, but, you know, having a really full bird menagerie. Yeah. I just, it's great. Yeah. It's just a great feeling. You feel empowered. And especially because you start the game so weak, you feel the difference and you just kind of feel like a superhero. Yeah. And the look of the game reflects it because you're seeing all your hard work laid out in front of you. I'm really glad you mentioned that because it, that you saying that allowed me to finally land on what I think I've been trying to say this whole time. And that is, I feel like, the engine building genre is like, it feels like running a marathon, like that level Mm -hmm. of satisfaction because every single step you take contributes in like a pre-planned way to the end point. And like how you ran at mile three affects your final time when you're crossing the finish line after 26.2 miles. And Mm-hmm. But not only that, like you said, a, a like a corollary of the idea that you get a lot of satisfaction out of what you've built is that I feel like this is the easiest game genre in some ways to feel like you're competing against yourself to get your personal best. Like yes. this, like this is the genre of game where like I like remembering most of the time I forget almost immediately what I scored in a game. I don't usually remember. Right. The ones I remember are the I started logging I started logging my plays because I I'm more interested in in like keeping track of that than I used to be. And it's it's pretty fun. Yeah. But yeah, especially for these types of games. Um because they're they're really not winner take all. You know, like obviously somebody wins. Mm-hmm. But even if you came second in a game of wingspan with 110 points, that's really good. Yeah. You know, like the fact that someone got 115 doesn't take that away. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you're right about that. Yeah, that is a fun part of it. I that I think definitely gives a. Yeah, just a very healthy sense of satisfaction an edifying sense of satisfaction yeah very very in very intrinsic yeah yeah definitely um so should we move on to our second category of the day yeah let's do it should we uh take a little take a little jaunt through the world of uh worker placement games you know i love to yeah and um so I'm, Go for well, it. I mean, like we said at the outset, there is this Venn diagram of tabletop games has a ton of overlap in it. And the reason we paired these two together is because there's a lot of overlap between engine building games and worker placement games. Um, mm-hmm. And it just it like made sense to talk about them together but yeah specifically w- w- yeah to to like go back to what i was saying at the beginning about the terminology yeah when people talk about a euro game 
what a Euro game is, is basically it's often the combination of these two things that we're talking about today. Because a Euro game generally is referring to a game where the primary um, thing you're doing is resource gathering and management. Mm -hmm. And so that's basically what you do when you combine worker placement and engine building, because the worker tends to be the part to help you get the resources, at least initially. And then the engine is what you spend the resources building, which then will help you get more resources or points or special abilities, what have you. So they really do interact very often. Um, so the definition, this one is pretty straightforward. A worker placement game is basically that you have workers. They are often, you know, little meeples or whatever. It could be a miniature, it could be a, a standee, just any kind of little worker unit that you put on a spot that gives you stuff. Mm -hmm. It really isn't more complicated than that. I mean, yeah. we'll get into some of the ways that that very basic mechanic has been twisted um, as time has gone by in really interesting ways. Mm -hmm. But or yeah, or, I don't or know. Is there anything else to add on. to that definition? Well, I think, yeah, I, I think that um, I think the key part you said is that you get something from it. This is not, yes. this is not like a, combat heavy area control game where you're placing pieces on the board in order to primarily to control territory and fight you're putting them mm -hmm. usually in pre-designated places to collect things and often in competing with other players for the same spots yeah i mean i i think i wouldn't call it area control but like it's a form of area control usually you could yeah usually that is the way that player interaction yes um comes into these games and it's usually it's usually pretty limited to be honest yeah. unless there's something else at play yeah and um so i think would would examples be helpful yeah yeah you want to kick us off with an example um so can I can I break the rule a little bit and give more than one example on this? Because I want to give two, because I think I want to give one that's just a very basic worker placement 101. And then I want to give one that just gives an example of how this can be flipped on its head and done differently. Uh, sure, go for it. Okay. So basic worker placement. I'm going to go with the same thing I said last time. Lost Ruins of Arnak. Mm-hmm. Right? You're putting a worker on a spot, getting a resource. That is all the worker does. Now, if that's the case, why do people like this genre so much? Well, that's because you can, and many designers have, done that differently. So we love our Garfield games. Mm -hmm. And pretty much all of those um, in those medieval game series that we talk about are worker placement games. They're all a unique take on that. And I think, you know, we've talked about in our reviews different ways that's been implemented, but I think the one that is the most um, obviously worker placement, but different is Architects of the West Kingdom. Hmm. And again, like, especially if you look at that side by side with something like Everdell or Lost Ruins of Arnak, you're putting workers on a spot on the board to get resources. But in architects, you 
you like instead of getting more workers as you go or the workers like becoming more powerful it kind of goes the opposite way around and you get more and more resources for placing more and more workers and the workers also kind of become a currency and an even stronger um tool for player interaction because of the way that you can arrest other people's workers and drop them off in jail and get paid out for it. it, it so I think yeah. architects is a really good example of, of like making it really like making the workers extra powerful and also making them way more interactive yep. than they usually are in a worker placement game, especially at a higher player count. It also adds a really fun, almost push your luck element. <laughs> Yes, yes, definitely. Yeah. But that's a genre for another day. Yes. That that What examples do you have? No, that's an excellent example. So, I've got I've got one example that falls into your category of an interesting twist on the genre and then mm-hmm. I've got one that is just it's almost like a de- deconstructed version of it maybe like Okay. Like kind of a more abstract version. Like I think, and the reason I'm going to list that second one is just more for the sake of argument to see how far can we push the boundaries of this. Great. So in the first instance, the example is also a Garfield game. Um, And, you know, I know it's, you know, maybe a little bit cheap to go back to that same well again, but they've done so many interesting things on multiple levels with this. And another one, I, I mean, that's the, that's their whole MO. Oh yeah. They're, they're, they're virtuosos at this. And the one I wanted to highlight is, is Paladins of the West Kingdom, because I've seen plenty of games and there are multiple games within their, Ovoir that have different colored meeples that can go to mm-hmm. different spots. But what I really liked in Paladins is the fact that you need to use multiple workers of different colors to unlock a single spot. And specifically, yeah. and especially like, and they took it even one step further than that, where like some of the spots have to be a certain color some of the spots are wilds and then there's even an engine building component to it where you can like cover up some of those spaces so you have to spend less workers in the future to do it like all of that wrapped into one was just i think that's probably my favorite implementation of this like style of game that i've encountered so far just on the level of creativity Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's not the one I thought you were going to name. Oh, really? What did you think I was going to name? I I thought you were going to go Raiders of the North Sea. Oh, because yeah. I know that you you're also very fascinated by the the like give and take, which is also a very interesting. Yeah, twist on yeah. It. The give and take that you have in Raiders and Wayfarers is also a lot of fun. Um, yeah. But the other example I wanted to highlight is kind of an unusual one, and for how commonly known and maybe even run of the mill this game is i i don't know if it's the first thing that comes to mind but that game is settlers of catan because in that game 
the the settlements that you're placing and the cities that you're placing basically become stationary workers in worker placement. It's just that you have very specific rules of where on the map they can go and an element of chance and delayed gratification in terms of when you get those resources. But I don't know. It's still... I think it still falls into the category because you're still getting resources from no, from, it, from it eventually. Yeah, um, I'm pretty sure most people would agree that Catan falls squarely in this category. Yeah. Um, there is one uh, just quick thing I want to name drop yeah. before we move on because I think it is a more advanced twist on worker placement and there are a lot of games that fall into this category mm-hmm. and that is dice, dice placement games. Mm-hmm. Um, with the the change there being just that instead of having just a normal worker, um, use dice as the workers. And so they operate generally in the same way in that they go to different spots. But what you see in a lot of dice placement games is that only certain numbers on the die can go to certain spots on the board or do certain things. Mm-hmm. Or they they will get you different numbers of resources or points, whatever, based on what the pip value is. So just wanted to throw that out there before we moved on, because um, I, I think it's like unavoidable. And I think it's a subset of worker placement that is actually growing in popularity in recent years. And yeah. I think you and I have both been impressed by the dice placement games that we have played. Yeah. Yeah, Way Wayfarers is as was well. I mean, I mean, just to show like the change in the in the genre, like Garfield itself, King of Worker Placement, is doing a whole dice placement trilogy. So right, yeah, that tells you, yeah, it's legit. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they what they have cooked up cooking what they've cooked up with scholars this fall. Yeah, and yeah, so that I think was a pretty rich introduction in terms of like some examples. Um, yes. Putting on your strategy cap. Yeah. What does it take to excel in this type of game? So I'm going to steal what you said for engine building. Hmm. Um, tempo. Hmm. So what I have picked up on in a lot of worker placement games, and that's going to include Architects, Everdell, um, quite a few games, is that generally the things you want to do with your worker should change as the game progresses. So generally a lot of the times that what you do with the workers in early rounds or early turns is strictly resource gathering, right? And because worker placement is often paired with engine building or some other mechanic, the worker kind of serves the purpose to get that other thing up and running. But then once it does, if you've done the other thing successfully, you switch your workers function away from resource gathering toward getting you points. So in Everdell, even though you get more and more workers as the game goes on, often what you should be doing in the final, let's say the final season 
is instead of your workers going to a spot to get you three more wood, you don't need to go to that spot anymore because you have cards that are now giving you wood, right? Mm -hmm. So instead, that worker can go and fulfill one of the events that will give you points or go on the journey spot where you just get straight up points for going there. So you almost get to a point where you are discarding the thing you used to need to get resources because you no longer need it. And you're be being rewarded for that with straight up points. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's a good one. Definitely. And, and just like to add in like the strategy part of it specifically is if you don't do it well, then you lose the opportunity to use them for that purpose in the late game. Mm-hmm. What do you have in mind? What I have in mind is it's I think a variation on what you have what you said earlier in terms of like being discerning about wh what your strategic aims are because I feel like games like this often they can be a little bit of a point salad, but I think they're a point salad by design in the sense that mm -hmm. they're, they're giving you at least often five to six ways to score points. And they're almost daring you to fall into the trap of trying to do too many of them. It's almost like, and in this sense, I feel like playing a, worker placement game is a little bit like taking a standardized test. What they're trying to test you on is you are very academic today. Yeah, I know. I kind of am. You have homework. Yeah. Freshman year of college. I know. And now standardized tests. It, well, can, can you, can you blame <laughs> me? It's like, it's the Monday it's, it's labor day. Like this I'm from Michigan. It's back, back to school. It's time. back to school season. It, it really is. And yeah. so, I mean, to go to the, the college major, well, again, the idea is choose your minors wisely. I think you can elevate this to multiple levels. There's multiple levels of achievement here. Um, you, can, you can play a passable game by, you know, fulfilling the main objectives, but like, missing out on some of the efficiencies and not being able to do some of the things that you wanted to do. And then maybe you get to the level of competency where you are fulfilling all of the baseline requirements and then having an ability to do some additional side quests and sprinkle in some points from a few other areas. But I think the virtuosos of this game genre are able to orchestrate it or at least recognize the potential where they can kind of double dip and like those secondary point categories are like complementary to things they're already doing so that they're not having to go out of their way as much to score additional points but they're finding ways to like get double credit for things that they would have done anyway right yeah i agree Cool. I mean, I think, honestly, more than any other genre that I could think of, I think the worker placement genre is very much in a innovate or die phase. 
in that oh i think at oh, this you mean point within, like if you, you mean within the industry yeah and that like because there's so many of them and like the basic premise is so simple that at this point if you're coming out with a new one and it's not um making like some kind of unique statement or like playing on the genre in a way and twisting it then there's no point because there's just so many of them that exist and even a lot of the ones that were popular like you know back in like the 2000s and stuff games that are like beloved like um stone age and lords of Waterdeep, are like i haven't played those but like they are you know people love those games they're very highly ranked as worker placement games um i, I mean even behind it but when you play those now i feel like people like you and i would probably not have a super great time hmm. because they are like those are the games that walked so that these other more recent games could run mm-hmm. because they laid the foundation um, and like created that definition for what we now see being deconstructed and manipulated in a bunch of different really fun ways. Yeah. And, and I mean, credit where credit is due, like these oh, yeah. are well-balanced games in, in their own right. And, you know, it, it's, it's almost like the scientific process playing out in a way because you have these these concepts being tested and like validated and then that frees up other people to like improvise on what's already been done well to make a a really bad joke so stone age was the stone age and we needed the stone age right it's an important (laughs) stepping stool but now we're in the golden age so (laughs) moving on (laughs) uh well you don't you don't have to clap for that it was pretty pretty lame (laughs) no that's okay (laughs) it it makes me think at some point we need to have a debate episode about whether or not we're in a golden age or not i i've heard some other people do that and it's pretty fun yeah that would that would be a good one okay shelve that that's going on the spreadsheet yeah cool and Um, and i'm trying to think uh i want to give a a hat tip to i'm uh discussion from uh board game barrage is i'm pretty sure the source of that idea like i definitely Mm -hmm. listened to an episode of theirs a while ago where i'm not sure if it was the theme of the entire episode but they definitely had a an extended discussion on this that was very good food for thought well also depending on when they recorded that could be a very different answer than it was present it was fairly recent we might need to hold this idea for a while because i think they did it in the last year ish Mm. cool um um anyway pivoting back (laughs) yes so let's do our warm and fuzzy section yes so get in touch with our feelings absolutely yeah yeah give the workers a little hug yeah so what is it about worker placement that speaks to you spiritually emotionally yeah i think what what appeals to me about this genre is almost like a cousin to what i love about engine building games i feel because on the the engine building building side there's an element of like the delayed gratification we talked about but I think there's also an article of faith 
in an engine building game where if you build it early enough, it's going to pay off if it's a smart investment. And it just Mm -hmm. kind of does that on its own to some extent. Whereas like, and that automatic element of the compound interest, so to speak, makes it feel just a tad bit less earned to me sometimes. And I get the, the satisfaction I get out of a worker placement game is a little bit different than that. It appeals to the long-term planner in me on a, on a more tactical level. And especially in the sense that it makes me feel more clever to do well in a game that's primarily worker placement than in an engine building game that doesn't have as much of that mechanic. It makes, it makes me feel like I, when I, when I do it well, it makes me feel like I have a level of forethought or like, mm, or foresight that, I don't know, is satisfying in like a way that makes it feel more like something you did rather than just something that's built into the mechanics of the game itself. Does that, does right. that make sense? Yeah, I get you. Um, I feel like this this is a harder one to answer than engine building ones. Mm-hmm. Um, so my answer is also kind of strange. A little esoteric. Um, yeah. yeah, like considering that I love worker placement games, honestly, like the worker placement-ness of it really doesn't make me feel anything. Um, <laughs> okay. Like it's, again, like it's kind of like the worker placement is just kind of there so that the other more interesting things can happen around it. Uh, it's like the infrastructure of the game. It's the scaffolding. Yeah. And that's fine. That's not a bad thing. I, I love many of these games. Um, but I think what it is for me, it's like when I see something as a worker placement game, the feeling is actually probably more front loaded before I play the game. And that when I see that it's a worker placement game, I probably have a more positive feeling toward trying it or thinking that I might like it. Whereas like the worker placement itself during the game doesn't really make a difference to me. It's what is built around it or how it's done differently. That's interesting, mm. you know, because when I see something as a worker placement game, I can, I can probably deduce that like there's some kind of engine building component going on or, you know, like it's going to be very strategic and a little bit puzzly um, that there's probably not going to be a lot of like players messing with each other a whole ton and being super aggressive. So I just, I know, which is like, fine. There's a time and place for that too. I like area control and, you know, social deduction, those more like interactive, aggressive um, types of games. Mm. But it's just, if I see something is labeled worker placement for the most part, I know that it's going to be relaxing and strategic and so it welcomes me in, even if the actual worker placement during the game isn't, um, you know, specifically 
what's the most interesting. Mm-hmm. No, I get you. Yeah. I get you. I, uh, yeah, it's, I, one thing that comes to mind for me here is <clears throat> worker placement games make me feel very, um, I mean, this is kind of ironic since they're, you know, Euro games, but they make me feel very American. And the reason I, <laughs> the reason I say that is if there's one idea that I've had ingrained in me from birth as an American born in the late eighties, it's that central planning cannot work. <laughs> and, oh my God. and I feel like a worker placement game is like a little like fictional microcosm where it can work and how wonderful yeah. is that yeah that's true kind of <laughs> is or are you the big like capitalist overlord overseeing your workforce who like is unable to unionize no <laughs> no don't don't take it there it works both ways don't take it there um, um wow uh, one little maybe, addendum because maybe we, my we, feelings of this genre just shifted like seismically. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, so the thing I was going to say is just to you know I want want to just make sure that we're not like painting too broad a brush on a whole genre. Yeah. So I just want to point out a couple games that are not fitting what we're describing, that, but I think our worker placement that break the mold a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So the first one is Scythe. Mm-hmm. because that's obviously area control there is a combat component but at the same time there is worker placement where the workers are doing what workers always do gather resources yeah. but they instead of being just in a you know pacifist engine bu- building utopia they are in mechanized warfare yeah they're they're, <laughs> they're characters in a like cosmic age of empires like saga yes and then the other one in a similar veil is Dwellings of Elder Veil, mm-hmm. where again the workers are, um, you know, vulnerable in a violent world, which and is interesting and it's very different in that game and in Scythe, but it's those are very much more exceptional, yeah, um, compared to the other games we've been talking about. Well, and I think the most notable thing in Dwellings is the way that. I mean, you you mentioned games like Everdell where you're later in the game freeing up, once you get the resources flowing, freeing up these meeples to go and get you points instead. And like a game like Dwellings takes that to its logical extreme by like making the workers a permanent little house that you lose for the rest of the game. Yes, that's a really good point. Um, I guess the closest thing, the only other game that does something like that that I could think of permanently is um, Architects with the Guild Hall. Yeah, when you build. Yeah, yeah. And and there's poor things. It's like it's like human sacrifice for these guys. Um, All to build buildings in every game. <laughs> yeah, there's. Oh man, there's there is at least one or two dissertations that could be written on that if they haven't been already. Yeah. All the workers in the worker placement games are going to unionize soon. It's going to be like 
Toy Story, but it's all our little meeples assembling in mass. Yeah, this is that's horrifying to think about. <laughs> it's it's funny when we when we started this episode, I didn't think of it as being our most overtly political one, but I think we're there. No, well, <laughs> workers of the worker placement game of the world unite. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think that's. Uh... That's where it's going. And I think that's... Uh, if we're talking about logical conclusions, they're going to revolt against... The dwellings are going to come undone. And that'll be the end. Then the golden age will truly end. Oh my gosh. Anyway, um, I think that might be a good time to uh, sign off. <laughs> yeah, I think we... I mean, I... Yeah, I I think you you took it to a place I didn't expect it to go. I'll say that. but. I'll say that not only did we talk about our enjoyment of this game genre, but we also, it made us think a little bit about yep. the broader world beyond the gaming table. And that's not a bad thing either. Nope. And I think this was a really good discussion concept. And I think it's going to be really fun um, revisiting this format again and talking about some other types of games in the future yeah so yeah i'm super excited look to, forward to that i'm super excited to to get into this again with uh, a couple other game types in the following mm -hmm. weeks looking forward to it yeah great all right we'll talk to you next week yeah catch you all later bye